Have you heard the story of the stone soup? It's an old European folktale that plays up the value of sharing. I'm Diane Verniel, and in this program, we're going to sift through the moral of that story. Along the way, we'll take a hard-baked look at how and why so much of our food is wasted, from the farmer's field to your refrigerator. And we'll serve up an extraordinary solution. That's the main ingredient in this story. How a determined group of volunteers are salvaging tons of unwanted food to feed thousands of hungry people around the world. It's a recipe for goodwill and sustainability for a growing, hungry planet. This is Stone Soup, a Gleaner story. So here's the premise of that age-old parable. A hungry traveler pulls into a village and no one is willing to share their food. But the traveler has a bright idea. He lights a fire, fills an empty cooking pot with water from a nearby stream, and then drops in a big stone. A curious villager asks, what's in the pot? Well, it's delicious stone soup, of course. The villager has a taste and says, you know, what it really needs is some carrots, which he volunteers. A few more curious townsfolk line up to sample the soup, and to improve the flavor, each one tosses in some additional ingredients, an onion, celery, and beans. And before you know it, together, they've cooked up a delicious pot of soup. The lesson here is on the value of sharing. If people work cooperatively, they can achieve a greater good. We're on the outskirts of Cambridge, Ontario, inside a large warehouse, where an army of volunteers is washing, peeling, chopping, and drying mixed produce. The dried veggie mix is then scooped and sealed into plastic bags about the size of a small pillow. All this nutritious, Ontario-grown food is on its way to feed the world's hungry. Fresh produce that is donated to us and we are working with volunteers to make it into nutritious dried vegetable mixes and fruit snacks. That's Elaine Mercus, manager at the Ontario Christian Gleaners. Elaine likes to think of her enterprise as the food bank to the world. Every day we can see what happens with people volunteering here, but the big picture of course is knowing that there's so many people in need around the world. We're getting stories from different mission groups serving in different countries. When you look at the gleaners by the numbers, their output is nothing short of astounding. 70 volunteers a day. That's how many people show up every morning to prepare and package the food. 25,000 pounds or just over 11,000 kilograms. How much produce is donated every week? 44 countries where the food is sent and seven million servings. That's the number of meals prepared each year for some of the world's most impoverished people. In just over a decade since their launch, the Gleaners has developed into a well-oiled machine with every cog in this wheel driving its success. To know that every day we can feed 25 to 30,000 people uh, with our food here, you don't want it to end. So how do they manage to get so many faithful volunteers coming out to their Cambridge warehouse every day, ready for hours of manual labor? What about all that free food? Tons of it just shows up at their door. How do they send the thousands of veggie bags to those far off destinations? And considering the scale of worldwide poverty and hunger, 
Are the gleaners making a difference? Elaine says it all starts with their volunteers. That is one of my highlights of my day, is seeing the volunteers, chatting with the volunteers. Uh, they all have great stories. Some of them, we have uh, volunteers that have shared about during World War II, they remember how eating tulip bulbs um, for food. And so it's so important for them knowing that they're helping people. Some of them will drive in an hour to an hour, 30 minutes to come and spend a morning here. And others are just from within Waterloo Region, Hamilton and Brantford areas. We joined some new recruits who are getting a tour of the facility with Elaine. With COVID-19, the gleaners now have in place strict protocols for sanitizing, mask wearing and social distancing. In the main work area, volunteers are busy on peeling duty. Lorna Lebrun, a retired senior from Cambridge, is one of their loyal weekly volunteers. Today we're doing sweet potatoes. It means cleaning them off, chopping them up, washing them, and then we put them in buckets where they go inside to be dehydrated. Elaine then takes us into an adjoining room to see how the veggies are efficiently chopped up. So this is the dicing machine, that's what chops everything up. So you saw everybody out there trimming the sweet potatoes. Yeah. They're taking off any of the blemishes um, and cutting it into just smaller chunks, but from here is where it gets cut up to those small pieces. The next stop is the very noisy drying room. The chopped produce is put on a long conveyor belt and pulled through a dehydration unit. When it's drying, it takes about an hour 15 to an hour 30 minutes from first piece on to first piece off. Uh, and it's just warm air that's blowing through there and it's on a belt and it's just getting stirred and raked around. A protein source, either barley, lentils or split peas is added to the dried soup mix. And then it's time for bagging. In the packaging room, we find volunteers John and Yvonne Van Wangarden, a retired couple from Ancaster. That's about a half hour drive from the warehouse. Their job is to put 15 scoops of dried soup mix into every bag before it's sealed. I've been volunteering for about 10 and a half years and I love doing it because I think it's such a great cost. There'd be a lot of food going to waste without this organization and there's a lot of hungry people in the world and I think it's just a beautiful thing that we're doing. Canada is so blessed with the amount of food that we have when you look at other countries and to be able to have this sent to the countries that have not, it's just amazing. I find it just an amazing organization. After a few hours of work, the volunteers are called into the large meeting room for the morning coffee break. Hello everybody, good morning to you. That's Shelly Stone, the previous manager at the Gleaners. She welcomes the newcomers and the regulars, reminding them of whom they're helping. About a third of the people in our world do not have adequate nutrition. And we're here in this part of the world where food is thrown out because it is not pretty enough, it is not the right shape, it is not the right size, it's the wrong color, or we have grown too much. The volunteers are listening intently, and today there's a special guest speaker who's come all the way from the Philippines. Well, it's just a blessing and an honor to be here, and I'm so encouraged to see all of you. John Coffey, originally from Elmira, Ontario, is the executive director of a nonprofit organization called International Teams Tender, or IT Tender. 
For two decades now, his group has been feeding street kids in Manila and offering educational programs to both the kids and their parents. We use the Ontario Christian Gleaners soup mix and all their different foods regularly in our feeding programs in Manila. So our heart is to help children and youth from extreme poverty to be able to go to school, to be able to complete their education and have a better future so that they don't have to live in the slums or squatter communities once they have a job. It was while he was at university, first as an undergrad at the University of Waterloo, then at the University of Toronto earning a teaching degree, that a friend invited John to join a few short-term missions in the Philippines. Those trips had a profound impact on him. My heart broke for the kids who couldn't go to school because they couldn't afford just the daily transportation to ride a bus, they couldn't afford school supplies, a uniform, even just to get to public schools. So that really broke my heart. John has come to the Gleaners Cambridge Warehouse to thank the volunteers for the steady supply of food bags they've been sending and to stress the important role that food plays in helping children to learn. Our focus is education and we know that a, a hungry or unhealthy child doesn't make for a great student. They're not able to focus, they're not able to do well in school if they're always hungry. On a large screen, the volunteers are shown some pictures of the children in the Manila feeding program. And the stories John shares are rough. Many of the kids are orphaned. Some are addicted to glue sniffing. And all know the pain of hunger. But John is here to show how IT Tender is helping to change lives for the better. Like Nadine, a petite 17-year-old with bright eyes. She started out in the feeding program and is now a group leader. She came for the food, but she stayed for the education. Um, and now she's a leader here. She's also a counselor at one of our kids' camps. In the next picture, we meet Jassy, a street kid who entered the feeding program at age 10. So him and his single mother and his siblings lived on the street under an overpass. They had this soiled mattress that the whole family would sleep on, but literally living on the street. And when we met them, we immediately introduced them to all of our programs, our feeding program. We said, Jassy can come to our after-school program until we could find a sponsor for him to go to school. And John did find a sponsor. In fact, his parents back in Canada stepped up with $25 a month to help send Jassy to school. And Jassy is able to go to school, and he is the head teacher in our Sunday school program. So he's teaching younger children. He also teaches at our nutrition program. A little later, we venture halfway around the world to drop in on John and his team in the Philippines to see how the Gleaners' soup mix bags are helping build stronger bodies and minds. You're listening to Stone Soup, a Gleaner story. I'm your host, Diane Verniel. The volunteers who showed up at the Gleaners Warehouse in Cambridge, Ontario on this Thursday morning have peeled, chopped, dried and bagged their way through several large bins of sweet potatoes. Gleaners manager Elaine Merkus says most of the produce they get is donated free of charge from area farmers. Most of it is coming from growers within about an hour, hour and a half radius of our building here in southern Ontario. Um, it is just surplus produce. Sometimes there's too much on the market. We have cabbage that just they've harvested so much they have no more room in the barns. So too much produce grown that doesn't get to market? The gleaners are more than happy to be the recipients of this excess produce. 
But there are other reasons why, up to 50%, yes, almost half of all the food grown in Canada, never gets eaten. Uh, if you actually add farming, processing, distribution, and, and retailing, plus consumers, we basically waste anywhere between 45 to 50% of all the food being produced in Canada. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a leading food management expert at Dalhousie University in Halifax. He says you'll find food waste all along the food chain in Canada. On farms, growers may not get to a ripened crop in time and it spoils in the field. Farmers might not have the right equipment to harvest or enough labor to pick the produce. And we saw that this past year when the coronavirus affected foreign farm workers on a number of Ontario farms. If they do leave money in their fields or if they do leave commodities in their fields, that's money for them. So I, I don't think it's done deliberately, uh, but it is. it does happen. And there's something Elaine Mercus told us back at the Gleaners Warehouse in Cambridge, that Canadian shoppers are used to buying perfect produce. Anything that's oddly shaped, although quite edible, ends up in the so-called ugly pile. Asparagus that might be too thick or too thin or shaped like hockey sticks. There could be um, sweet potatoes that are too large, maybe more the size of a guinea pig rather than the ones that you would find in the store. Um, cabbages, again, they're too large, too small. Cauliflower that has a little bit of a suntan on it. Um, and all of that never, ever leaves the farm or the packing plant. And all of this is perfectly edible. It's just that Canadians perfectly think edible. it doesn't look very attractive. Yeah, it's just we're so used to perfect quality foods and wanting to use our money to get the best looking. Uh, we just, you know, carrots with multiple legs, we're just not used to seeing those things on, in our stores. A few years ago, Charlebois says there was an effort to promote ugly produce at grocery stores, typically marked down by about 30%. What happened to that campaign? That program did not do all that well because uh, consumers realized that 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 thirty percent became the benchmark for other products, and so prices were inflated as a result. And consumers saw that. Besides the grocery store and the farm, Charlebois says where you'll find plenty of food waste is inside your refrigerator. That spinach you forgot about that went wilty or the yogurt buried at the back of your fridge well beyond its expiry date. But the one food that ranks at the top of his hit list? Bananas is one really glorifying example of how much uh, food we waste. We waste over 550 bananas in Canada, 450,000 bananas a day in Canada. So you can make a lot of banana bread with... 550,000 bananas wasted every single day. Imagine how many people we could feed, says Charlebois, if all that wasted food could be salvaged. When you factor in all the water, labor, power, and the food itself that Canadians toss out, it adds up to about $100 billion of wasted food every year. Well, from a sustainability perspective, it is probably one of the most critical issues uh, in, in Canada and around the world. It, it, it points to how inefficient our food supply chains are. But Charlebois is inspired to hear about groups like the Gleaners in Cambridge who are collecting surplus fruits and vegetables to feed people in need in developing countries. You're basically trying to reduce the amount of waste we generate in Canada 
and you're also supplying food to uh, people who are in desperate need, who are food insecure. And uh, so those two goals are incredibly important. We're taking a drive out to the village of Princeton, just east of Woodstock in southwestern Ontario. The landscape is mainly flat with rich brown soil, perfect for growing a variety of produce. And that's where we find Jack Streif, president of family-run Streif Produce. We grow potatoes, green beans, um, sweet potatoes, and asparagus. Um, we also have a wholesale operation in Toronto at the Ontario Food Terminal where we market everything that, uh, that is available in, in vegetables and stuff. The Streif farm is massive, stretching out 2,400 acres. Plus, they also move tons of produce from neighboring farms through their operation. Right now, we're running uh, five tractor trailers in, uh, in Ontario and four straight trucks. Um, and then we hire out everything that goes out of province. The Street Farm is also a major contributor to the Ontario Christian Gleaners. It all started about 20 years ago, when Jack volunteered to join a construction crew with a charity called Mission to Haiti. He went along to help build a school and community centre. The first time I went, I pretty much got addicted to, uh, to helping out as much as I could. Um, we saw the need, which was huge. Um, so got more involved with Mission to Haiti and, and uh, heard about the Gleaners, talked to them. And it turned out to be a perfect match. The Gleaners were always on the lookout for food and Jack runs a farm. Like many Canadian farmers, he faces the challenge of what to do with produce that's less than perfect. The problem here in Canada is we've never had an empty shelf since 1930. And people just expect manufactured product to be 100% sexy <laughs> if you if i may say that um you know they they're looking for the sexy produce and um it doesn't matter about uh um the rest of it they just they expect it and that's that's what they're looking for here jack says some of the imperfect produce he grows is sold as livestock feed and now a portion of the unsellable food that might have ended up in a local landfill is being donated to the gleaners. It's great opportunity for a place like the gleaners who, who takes that product and does such great work with it and, and makes such a difference for all these starving uh, communities around the world, right? And with other volunteer organizations to make it logistically possible to do that. Over the past two decades, this farmer with a big heart has traveled to Haiti 23 times, but with the current COVID travel restrictions, it could be a while before he gets back. For an Ontario farmer who grows an abundance of food, it seems Jack is always thinking about those going without. It is not abnormal for a Haitian to only have two or three meals a week, right? Um, so if we can have that product available to the schools, um, and the kids can get a square meal every day. They're just more functioning, healthier. As we wrap up our visit, Jack says that volunteering in Haiti, helping to put up buildings and sharing produce from his farm is his reality check that helps to put everything into perspective. 
I went down there for the first time to uh, to help out, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to spend my two weeks, check it all out, and and come back, and that's going to be the end of it. But that's not what happened. I came back with a whole new perspective on things, and uh, actually felt guilty the first time coming back because I got more out of it than what I thought I contributed. We hear almost the exact same thoughts from Jack's nearby neighbor, Edna Vugd. Her husband's family runs a 2,500-acre farm that grows mainly broccoli. Farming's not easy. It's, we've had our ups and downs like anyone else, but we're still immensely, immensely blessed in this country. Like When you've been to a place like Haiti and you come back to Canada, you realize how blessed we are and uh, the freedoms that we have. And it just makes you want to give back. Edna, a retired teacher, has traveled to Haiti five times. While she helped with the medical team, her husband was part of a construction crew building a community center. It was Edna's sister who got her involved with a gleaner's operation. They use excess produce to produce a dried soup mix to feed the hungry around the world. And uh, so I started volunteering there and I just loved it. We work with all different people from different backgrounds. Then came the connection. The gleaners needed food and she was married to a farmer. I also realized that on our farm, we often had excess produce or produce that wasn't up to the uh, high standards of Ontario. And uh, this could be used at gleaners. So I encouraged my, my husband and his brothers to ship some of their produce to gleaners. Edna has had the opportunity to see how the food grown by her family is feeding some of the most impoverished people in the world. The, the mothers come in the morning and they have the big cauldrons on the fire and they're, they're stirring the big pot and these children are just waiting in anticipation with their little dish and uh, that's, that's their meal of the day quite often. And the nutritional value is, a, is incredible. Edna says she's always moved by the gratitude expressed by the people they're helping. They're, they're healthier. The children are healthier and happier and very, very thankful. Uh, and that always really strikes us, that how thankful these people are for whatever little bit they receive. A little later, we circle back to Princeton, Ontario for the all-important send-off of a shipping container full of food that's headed for Haiti. But first, we're tracking food waste. So, you've heard how some Ontario farmers are reducing waste by donating unwanted produce to the gleaners in Cambridge, where volunteers chop, dry and package thousands of nutritious soup bags for the developing world. That's very impressive, says Mike Williamson. But uh, for them to do that and then have the volunteers to come in and do that, uh, that, that's amazing. Mike owns and manages Central Fresh Market, an independent Kitchener grocery store renowned for its meat and deli departments. Mike started bagging groceries at age 13 and has worked in food retailing for over half a century. And would you like the meat in a separate bag? We're stopping by on a Monday afternoon to ask this experienced grocer how he avoids food waste in his store. So if you're controlling your inventory and recognizing your problems and your issues before they actually happen, so if you realize that you know something only has five or six days on it left or you, we know it's going to turn in the next few days, we kind of reduced it that day to move it out and uh, manage it that way. 
With bigger food retailers, Mike says waste can happen at various points while trying to get the product to the consumer. Probably some of it's in transportation, uh, you know, shipping, you know, temperature abuse is probably the biggest thing that uh, causes product to go bad or be wasted. It's also problems in warehouses and product being shipped and product skids get lost, you know, because there's large volumes, you know, so and then things happen best before dates. So, you know, at the end of the day, as long as those companies are, you know, are donating that product or making sure it doesn't go to waste, you know, like the worst thing you want to see is something going into a landfill, you know, so that's when it's a problem. And that's exactly what happened back in 2003 when he and everyone else in Ontario experienced a massive blackout. August 14th, <laughs> I remember, yeah, yeah, that, uh, I think that happened, at, I think around, what, three or four o'clock in the afternoon, the whole uh, northeastern seaboard went down. Mike and his staff work quickly to protect the meat, easily the most expensive item in any grocery store. We start sealing up our coolers, make sure nobody opens up a freezer door, uh, no one opens up a sliding door, you know, so as long as the doors remain closed, we're good. The only problem is with the bunkers and then the open cases, you know, so normally power outages might be an hour the most, you know, so there's never really a problem. But with this blackout, the lights didn't come back on until 4 a.m. the next morning. Mike says most of the meat, produce, and dairy was okay. But we ended up, I think, losing probably, I think, about $5,000 worth of ice cream, and that was pretty much it, so we were, we were fortunate. At his grocery store, it's the fruits and vegetables that he tracks most closely. Our produce department, uh, which is probably, you know, we're returning a lot of product there as well, and the product gets handled quite a bit, so there's probably a little bit more damage, and then depending on refrigeration and, you know, everything watering, you know, everything working well. For his shoppers, Mike encourages them to follow the same safeguards in their homes as he does in his store. Well, I, I guess the biggest thing what we find here is, is recognizing or trying to uh, trying to foresee what issues you may have, you know. And it's just like something in your fridge with expired date or a vest before, or you've got uh, you know spinach that's going to be up in a couple of days. You know what? We got to eat that tonight or tomorrow. You know. Mike also says know the difference between best before dates and expiry dates. So best before dates are, are not technically expiry dates that like you have on baby food and things like that where they're expired and you cannot eat them, okay, or medication, you know. So best before, you know, that's the highest point of the, the flavor of the product or the taste or the quality of the product, you know. So a lot of products, you know, like you can go with Schneider's wieners and things like that and bacon, you know, they're good like two, three weeks past the code, you know. So, but other people, have, some people have different perceptions of what best before is, you know, so they think it's expired, so, and it's not. From his Midtown Kitchener store, Mike Williamson is also a steady contributor to his local food bank. In particular, he's a generous donor of meat products. So we freeze it and then uh, we drop off a few cases, whatever, whenever whenever we make a load for them. So it seems to work out well and uh, and thing is nothing's being wasted. And uh, the only time to me that I consider it waste is when it's going in a dumpster. You're listening to Stone Soup, a Gleaner Story. I'm your host, Diane Verniel. In this program, we're picking through the scrap heap of our food waste, from the farmer's field to the back of your refrigerator. Canadians toss out about $100 billion worth of food every year. That's almost half of all food grown, never making it to your dinner plate. But the Gleaners, a Cambridge-based charity, has found a way to turn food refuse into food rations. They're feeding thousands in need around the globe. 
Next on our quest to fight food waste, we're visiting a trendy shop on Belmont Avenue in Kitchener. Culinary Studio. Kirsty Herbstreit is taking customer calls, while her business partner, Jody O'Malley, okay. is loading up boxes with carefully measured ingredients for tonight's cooking class. Keeping a close eye on their product uh -oh. inventory is critical for these entrepreneurs hmm. because wasting food means losing money. Okay, just got to put these produce packs in. Yeah, start taping, once you're done, start taping them up and then we can have them good and ready. We'll put our business card on top and we'll be good. Okay. The boxes, about 25 of them, will be picked up by clients who signed up for tonight's virtual cooking lesson, which features Thai shrimp and chicken. Then at 5 p.m., everyone connects online from home. The step-by-step -step cooking class takes about an hour and a half and you're going to tune in at home, uh, you're going to have your equipment ready and we're going to essentially guide you through the food that's in that box. It's really teaching you the whys behind what you're cooking. Um, our goal is to teach you what you can't necessarily always find in a book. Like many other businesses affected by COVID, the culinary studio started using Zoom, a video conferencing platform to connect with their customers. So, picture this, a computer screen with about 25 would-be chefs ready to cook in sync with Jody and Kirsty, who serve up their culinary expertise with a side helping of stand-up comedy. If you don't have a can opener, get a machete out or an axe or something and just tap that coconut milk. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Both Kirsty and Jody are Red Seal chefs with years of experience in the food service industry and both share a passion for food. I think that um, being a cook or being a chef is something that can't be avoided. If you're passionate about food, if you're thinking about lunch when you're eating breakfast and dinner when you're eating lunch, uh, then you know that you've, you, you just have to be in this industry. And staying in this industry after the first COVID lockdown became an existential test for them. Like other businesses deemed as non-essential, they were forced to shut their doors. The solution to surviving came from a client who said, Why don't we do an online class with you? Why, when are you going to offer this? And I said, you, you would do that? And they said, yep. And we haven't looked back from thinking about the logistics of how people are going to cook something at home to how people are going to get the ingredients. Um, Diane, if you look behind you, you see a whole bunch of cardboard boxes and packaging that we can now send people ingredients. And But at the end of the day, we're still doing what we love, and that's teaching people how to cook. Now, almost a year later, the cooking studio has rewritten its business model. All cooking classes are online, and the co-owners have settled into a new routine where teaching virtually gives them more time with their young families. As much as we loved serving people and having guests in our space, at the end of the day, I can now say, hey kids, dinner's ready, and my evenings are a little bit more family focused and and I know in my family and in Jody's family as well like they know mom's teaching right we got to be quiet for a couple hours but then I'm gonna get this amazing meal out of it and whether it's as a mom or a food industry owner Kirsty hates to see any food go bad if food is not wasted like if I've used up that whole cucumber or 
or you know eaten all those leftovers it gives me really great satisfaction like that that's how i feel about food waste in the restaurant business kirsty says you live by the rule of thirds where the margins are tight and it's tough to turn a profit you've got a 30 percent um, overhead costs, you've got 30% labor cost, uh, the other 30% is food cost. But if, if you start to throw out some of that 30%, then, then you're losing money. So if we can get our food costs down to 20%, 15%, that's always, that's always the goal. So how does Kirsty avoid throwing out food to protect her bottom line? She says be vigilant about using food before it goes bad. The, the lettuce that's going uh, a little bit uh, soft or wilted, right? Get out a recipe book, um, you know, find a, a recipe for a wilted lettuce soup, market it and make money off of it. That's generally our goal and the goal of, of many restaurants, good restaurants. Kirsty is also a big fan of what she says should be a staple in any kitchen, and that's homemade stock. Why pay good money for something you can make yourself? I'm talking vegetable stocks, chicken stocks, beef stocks, right? Those can be the backbone of the kitchen. I remember working in one restaurant and they were buying in their stock. And I was like, well, that, that makes no sense because now this whole pile of trim and whatnot is just being thrown out where it could make money for you. Kirsty is relentless about finding ways to use every last scrap of food rather than throwing it out. An apple core, for instance, um, can be can be boiled with some sugar and water, and that's the base for your next cocktail that you're going to charge, you know, fourteen dollars for. So, yeah, I'll think about that the next time I pay fourteen dollars for a 100, cocktail. Hundred percent. Yeah, that rotten pear is a cocktail. <laughs> We've returned to Streif Produce outside of Woodstock, Ontario for a very important day. A forklift is loading soup mix bags filled with Ontario-grown produce packaged by the gleaners. The destination for this large shipping container is Haiti. Here for the send-off is Glenn Reinders, who is the Canadian president of the non-profit group Mission to Haiti and they are very pleased to be regular recipients of the Gleaner's food. So today we're going to be loading a container, a 40-foot container of soup, uh, food, uh, clothing, uh, construction material, a number of different things that we send off to Haiti every year. Joining him is Ed Hatinga, who serves as treasurer for the group. Everyone here calls Ed the numbers guy. His job is to get the container from the southwestern Ontario farm to the impoverished Caribbean island. This year, uh, it's usually a little bit shy of $6,000 to send the container down there, and it takes, uh, it's like clockwork. Uh, these uh, people are very uh, efficient in what they do. It's 26 days, and it's in Port-au-Prince, unless there's a hurricane. <laughs> Overseeing this busy scene is farmer and president of Streif Produce, Jack Streif. He's making sure this container is jam-packed with food and other supplies. I think we have around 400,000 meals that are going on, on this container today. Um, and it'll all be distributed around the same community that we've, uh, we've always been working around. Now, as I know you can't smell it, but the soup just smells fantastic every time uh, we open up these drums. It, you know, almost, uh, 
makes you uh, build up your appetite. Volunteers have donated other items which are being tightly packed into the container. It's taken a few months to collect all the items. Uh, milk bag mats that we're doing, all the donation of clothes that we get. We'll be sending down a bunch of vitamins for the school and some uh, material for the schools to use, um, some pencils and, and crayons and books and stuff like that. Fully packed and the door shut, the container is now ready to make its journey to the island of Haiti. The truck is headed for Toronto, where the load will be transferred onto a cargo train and then shipped to Montreal. From Montreal, it'll get loaded on a ship, go to the Bahamas, and then it'll get uh, transferred at the Bahamas onto a smaller boat, which will deliver it into Haiti. As the truck, filled with food and other essential items, pulls out of the parking lot, Jack Streif reflects on their work. We haven't changed the world, but we've definitely gave a, a, a lot of people a helping hand and that there's going to be a lot of kids in, in Haiti that are going to have square meals again and, um, and are not going to go to bed hungry. You're listening to Stone Soup, a Gleaner story. I'm your host, Diane Verniel. In this program, we're highlighting a unique Cambridge-based nonprofit organization. The Ontario Christian Gleaners rescues unwanted produce and redirects it to feed the world's hungry. That shipping container filled with 400,000 meals should arrive in Haiti in about three and a half weeks. Then it's up to volunteers with Mission to Haiti to distribute the food. So how do the Gleaners decide which relief organizations to support? Manager Elaine Merkis says all their applicants are carefully screened. Uh, we investigate them thoroughly to make sure they're reputable organizations. They have their funding in place to pay for shipping of the containers. And then it's all packed up in, onto skids and we load it up, put on the uh, truck, sent to the train yards or the shipyards and off it goes. Almost a month later, the shipping container arrives on schedule in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Relief agency Mission to Haiti will get all the contents to their local contact, the Reverend Charles Amasi. First, I really want to uh, express my gratitude to all of my brothers and sisters in Canada for the sacrifices they are making to help us in Haiti. Charles oversees a mission in the town of Cabaret, about an hour's drive north of Port-au-Prince. The compound includes a school, orphanage and church, built in part by Canadian volunteers. We have the, the boys uh, upstairs and uh, the girls downstairs. And, and also, it's really a community uh, living because we have the church over there, uh, that we have the school because the kids, they, they uh, from the orphanage, they go straight to school. And also, my house is uh, on the compound. They feed about three to 400 people a day at the compound, while 15 children live permanently at the orphanage. And uh, some of them have no parents at all. And uh, some, uh, some parents, uh, they died the, during the earthquake in 2010, so they do not have parents. Some of them lost both parents, mom and dad. 
Charles says some of the children do have parents, but they can't afford to feed them. So the parents, they have two, three, four, even six children, and they are not able to take care of them, so they give it to the orphanage. At least they can find something to eat and go to school. A decade after a catastrophic earthquake rocked the small island nation, Haitians are still rebuilding and face ongoing food insecurity. In the community of Cabaret, Charles says every day is a struggle for survival. It's a farming community, but unfortunately most of the people who are farming, they don't have the land, so they work the land for other people. And uh, they really work uh, on a small parcel of land, uh, which is not uh, uh, able to help them to feed their, their, their own family. Charles says the daily meal served at their center is the only food that many of these children will get to eat. Most of the kids, uh, they come to school with an empty stomach. So uh, they have the possibility to have uh, a meal every day. And, and this is for the uh, uh, school children and, uh, and also for the orphanage. So the, 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 the orphans, they are right there with us. So we really feed them three times a week. It's remarkable that one of these dried produce bags, about the size of a small pillow, can make up to 100 portions of soup Every morning, three community ladies arrive at the compound to get to work with the goal of feeding lunch to up to 400 people. And Charles says they're very creative in finding different ways to cook the veggie mix. They do things uh, that you wouldn't even imagine. Sometimes they, they, they make soup, sometimes uh, they make uh, gravy with that. Uh, they, they use only the beans uh, and uh, sometimes they use the, the only vegetables and they cook it and they put it on rice. So they, they really use it in several ways. Charles says his ultimate goal is to see the children they're feeding become the leaders of tomorrow and hope that they will help to create a better future for Haiti. Until then, he's grateful for the Canadian food that's helping to keep his community fed and thriving. So we really, without this program, uh, it would be very hard, very difficult for the people in the communities and also in our churches. Uh, because uh, uh, before this program, we had people who used to spend days without um, eating. On the other side of the globe, we're tracking another shipment from the Ontario Christian Gleaners. This time, it's an impoverished neighborhood called Sukat in the southern part of Metro Manila in the Philippines. This is where we currently hold our nutrition program, and we've held nutrition programs in various slum communities here in Manila in the past. But this is a particularly unique community, partly because of overcrowding and, of course, um, extreme poverty. So these simple homes built on bamboo stilts are right over the water. That's John Coffey, who runs the feeding and education program called International Teams Tender, or IT Tender. Originally from Elmira, Ontario, we met John earlier when he visited the Gleaners Warehouse in Cambridge. And now, back at his headquarters, he's telling us about the neighborhood that he's serving. And most of these homes don't have running water or electricity uh, made of 
just plywood, corrugated metal roofing um, that often gets torn off in typhoon season. Quite simple shanties. The daily meals are served in an open area about the size of a basketball court that's next to a busy road. And normally we would hold our feeding program outdoors at this area because it's a bit of an open space to gather the children. However, this is right by the bay and it's typhoon season now. And during typhoon season that gets flooded completely. We will gather the children on this bamboo bridge on on the floor. So there's actually no tables or chairs. And these children are very, very comfortable sitting on the, the floor or um, popping a squat. Sometimes they'll squat. The food is cooked up by mothers who volunteer with the feeding program. And just like in Haiti, the women here find different ways to use the gleaner's dried soup mix, from making porridge to spring rolls to veggie patties. Filipinos are so creative and they have so many wonderful dishes. So what we will often do is actually buy some other foods from the local community. And it's great that we're supporting the economy here. So we'll go to the local market and buy chicken or eggs, different kinds of protein to add to this mix. John's organization works from the basic premise that it's difficult for a hungry child to learn. But fill their tummies and teach them leadership skills and they can become the agents of change. So our goal is really to see children from extreme poverty be able to complete their school, but we also want to empower them to be leaders in their communities and to give back as well. But here's what's interesting about the IT tender program. It doesn't go on indefinitely. Rather than creating dependency, this program stresses self-reliance. Parents are encouraged to upgrade their skills, learn about budgeting and good nutrition. We see it as a partnership with the parents because we recognize that many of these parents don't have jobs. They are by no means lazy. Many of them are scavenging in the garbage dumps, um, pulling out metals and plastics and paper and selling them to what's called junk shops here. And really what we want to see is, we want to see these families empowered. So that's why this feeding program, it's not an indefinite thing. When we go to a community, it is strictly 6 to 12 months. Uh, 12 months is usually the maximum it might take for all the kids to reach a healthy weight. As the hearty soup is served up to the Filipino children and their parents who are part of this nutrition program, John Coffey is filled with gratitude to all those generous Canadians. We, we never dreamed that there would be an organization that would provide essentially an unlimited supply of free food to impoverished children around the world. And we're so thankful for all the farmers and the volunteers. We wish you could be here. We wish you could see the children enjoying the food because I'm certain if more people could see it, they would help. We've come to the end of our story about the stone soup, a tale that teaches the value of sharing. It's that belief that drives the gleaners in Cambridge, Ontario, where volunteers continue to rescue thousands of tons of unwanted food and use it to feed hungry people around the world. And we've heard how each of us can do our part to reduce food waste, from the farm to the grocery store to your kitchen. The issue of food sustainability, ensuring that we grow enough and that everyone has access to healthy food is an ongoing challenge. 
The final word comes from Elaine Merkus at The Gleaners. She hopes for a future without hunger and poverty. I'm looking that our food is being provided as a, a need now to provide an end to poverty. And we're never sad when a mission group says we don't need your food anymore. We'd like to thank everyone who helped in the production of this program. If you'd like to learn more about the Ontario Christian Gleaners, you can visit ontariogleaners.org. Our special thanks to both the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund and Colleen Kiriako at Dumfries Mutual Insurance for their generous funding. And we're grateful to CKWR Radio for its support. This program was produced and edited by Paul Francis Cuddy, an avid community volunteer and lover of food. I'm Diane Verniel. Thank you for listening to Stone Soup, a Gleaner Story.